This e-multiple sclerosis review program is presented by DKB Med Radio. Smoking is associated not only with increased risk of MS, but also with conversion of clinically isolated syndrome to clinically definite MS and from relapsing to secondary progressive MS. MS risk factors and outcomes. Welcome to E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Sex, race, prior Epstein-Barr infection, low sunlight exposure, high sunlight exposure, genetics, smoking. These are some of the risk factors that directly affect outcomes in individuals with MS. What do clinicians need to know about these MS risk factors to provide the best care for their patients? To answer that question, we're joined today by Dr. Melanie Ward from West Virginia University's Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute. For our guest disclosure and additional CME information, please go to our website, emsreview.org, and select the Volume 5, Issue 2 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Ward, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in with our first learning objective, identify key MS risk factors, and discuss how they might influence each other. So take us to the clinic, if you would, please, Dr. Ward, and get us started with a patient scenario. Sure. So this is a 25-year-old Black woman um, who presents with a new diagnosis of MS. She is from the Northeastern United States, and she does smoke. She's been newly diagnosed with MS. What do we know about her risk factors? What does the evidence say? So female sex is definitely a risk factor for MS. Females have about a three times risk of developing MS compared to males. Another important risk factor in this case is race. Um, so for the longest time, we thought that black individuals, at least in the United States, had a much lower risk of MS than white people. But we know now that that is not the case. There was an important study published in 2022 by Dr. Langer Gold and her colleagues that looked at a large population of patients in Southern California. Um, and in that study, the risk of MS was very similar in Black patients compared to white. Um, so it is likely that we have been underestimating the risk of MS in Black people for a long time. Um, and on the other hand, Hispanic and Asian patients seem to have a lower risk of MS. So another important risk factor that wasn't explicitly discussed in this case is Epstein-Barr virus. So Epstein-Barr has been associated with MS in multiple different studies, um, but last year there was a pretty landmark study published by Dr. Bjornovic and, and colleagues um, that looked at the development of MS in a very large population of military personnel. Um, in that study, during the time of the study, 801 people developed MS, and of those people, 800 of them were positive for EBV. And people who converted from negative to positive during the, um, the time of the study had a 32-fold increased risk of MS. So that is by far the strongest risk factor for MS that we have identified. Epstein-Barr virus infection is the strongest risk factor. Now, in a patient not or not yet diagnosed with MS, what would EBV infection present as? So Epstein-Barr infection is uh, very ubiquitous in the kind of general population. Um, when it's symptomatic, people will often have viral symptoms like fevers, um, sore throat, 
Uh, fatigue is a very common symptom with, uh, with Epstein-Barr infection. And the symptoms usually last a little bit longer than a normal viral infection. So up to two weeks is kind of the average. But most people are not going to report a clear infection because most people are asymptomatic when they get Epstein-Barr virus, especially as a child. So we often aren't going to get that sort of clear history of an infection, but we can still assume for almost everyone with MS that they were exposed at some point. Well, what do we know about why Epstein-Barr virus might increase MS risk? So there are a lot of different thoughts. Um, a couple of them are that there may be some molecular mimicry between Epstein-Barr and um, molecules expressed on oligodendrocytes, which are what make myelin, um, as well as astrocytes. Another thought is that Epstein-Barr can directly infect B cells. And B-cell um, depleting therapies have uh, emerged as one of our most effective MS treatments. So that sort of illustrates the possible link there. Well, thank you, doctor. Now, what you've been describing, those risk factors like gender and race, those are things that patients have no control over. But what about modifiable risk factors? What lifestyle risk factors should clinicians be aware of that might be increasing their patient's risk of MS? So the good news is there are several that we can potentially modify. There was a nice review of this published in um, 2019 by doctors Alfredson and Olson. Um, a couple things to think about first are location and vitamin D. So the further north we go, the higher risk of MS, um, and that goes along with generally decreased sun exposure. Um, low vitamin D has also been associated with increased risk of MS. Your body needs sunlight to convert vitamin D into its active form, so that's probably part of the picture. But sunlight exposure by itself has also been associated with um, increased risk of MS. So location can be a hard thing to change, but vitamin D is an easy thing to address. We don't 100% know um, the best vitamin D level for people with MS. And we also don't 100% know if supplementing changes outcomes, but it's an easy thing to fix. Um, some MS specialists recommend a goal of vitamin D between 40 and 60, and it's also um, relatively low likelihood of um, toxicity with vitamin D. Um, a last very important one to talk about would be smoking. So in 2022, Dr. Rogers and colleagues um, published a big study looking at smoking and MS. Smoking is associated not only with increased risk of MS, but also with conversion of clinically isolated syndrome to clinically definite MS and from relapsing to secondary progressive MS. Um, and so it's a really important risk factor to think about in terms of something that a patient could potentially change today. Are there likely interactions between these lifestyle risk factors? So likely these lifestyle risk factors all interact with each other as well as interacting with the non-modifiable risk factors. So we know that things like vitamin D, sunlight, genetics, Epstein-Barr virus, smoking can all come together to varying degrees to contribute to MS risk. And there's likely not one cause of MS in every person. So a mix of these uh, probably uh, contribute in all cases. Well, thank you, doctor. Let's review our conversation in light of our learning objective, identify key MS risk factors, and discuss how they might influence each other. What are the key things our viewers and listeners need to know? So the first take-home point um, would be that we now know that Epstein-Barr virus contributes to development of MS in almost everyone, if not everyone. 
Um, currently, that is not a modifiable risk factor. The second point I would make is um, that we have learned more and more about how race contributes to MS risk. So as I mentioned before, for a long time, we thought that black people had a much lower rate of MS than white people, especially in the United States. But we now know that that is not true. Um, it is important to note there that race is generally a societal construct. So we tend to group together a lot of people into to general groups that probably don't have the same genetic background. So that's just one point we need a little more information about. And then the um, last thing I would say is that we know that all these risk factors interact with each other to cause MS, and it's probably not the same for every person. Well, thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Melanie Ward from West Virginia University in just a moment. I want to take a brief time out here to ask all our listeners a simple question about your CME CEU credits. Do you have all you need? Because it's not too late to access the credits still available without charge from eMultiple Sclerosis Review. Whether you need to know more about how to develop effective shared decision making or better understand the clinical challenges of managing special populations like pediatric or aging MS patients, or increase your ability to personalize DMT selection to a patient's specific needs, you can connect to expert clinical advice and analysis on the eMultiple Sclerosis Review website. Just go to emsreview.org and choose the newsletters and podcasts that interest you. All our MS programs are accredited for nurses as well as physicians and are provided without charge to access or to obtain credit. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or whichever service you get your podcasts and webcasts, please rate and review us. Because the more listeners we have, the more programs we can provide. Thank you. And now back to our program. Welcome back to our eMultiple Sclerosis Review Program. We've been speaking with Dr. Melanie Ward from West Virginia University's Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute about identifying key MS risk factors and how they might influence each other. Let's turn to our second learning objective. Describe how counseling about modifiable risk factors can improve patient outcomes. Uh, so if you would please, Dr. Ward, take us back to the clinic with another patient scenario. Okay, so in this case, we have a 35-year-old woman who comes in for follow-up for MS. She's overall doing really well from the standpoint of her MS. She does smoke a half a pack a day, and she has two young children, so she is concerned about their risk of developing MS. My, my, my first question is pretty simple. How valid are her concerns? What does the evidence show about MS having a genetic component? So her concerns are valid. Um, there is a genetic component to MS. So the human leukocyte antigen complex has a lot of genes that are involved in regulating our immune system. And there are genes in that complex that have been associated both with increased risk of MS, but also with decreased risk. Um, so there is a genetic link, but it's definitely not all the story. So um, there was a, a review published by Drs. Parnell and Booth back in 2017 um, that indicated that the risk of MS in the general population is about one in a thousand. Um, but even among identical twins, so people who have the exact same DNA, the risk only went up to about one in four. So if it was just a genetic disease, we would expect that risk to be the same, but that is not the case. So it's part of the story, but not all the story. So right now we're looking to additional research to better elucidate the genetic aspects of MS. 
But, uh, and, and we spoke about this a little bit ago, genetics is a non-modifiable risk factor. Uh, talk to us, if you would, please, doctor, about modifiable risk factors that might increase or decrease the risk of MS in her children. Okay, so there are several that she potentially can control. So location and vitamin D have been associated with risk, as we discussed before. Location is hard to change, but vitamin D can be addressed. So um, potentially thinking about supplementing vitamin D in her children would be reasonable. That should be done in conjunction with their pediatrician. Um, the second one would be smoking. So as we discussed, smoking is a big risk factor for MS. There was a study in 2016 by Dr. Hedstrom um, that came out of Sweden that showed that in people who were genetically at the highest risk of developing MS, smoking contributed to the development of MS in 41% of cases. So that's a really important one that has implications not just for the patient, but their family members. And then finally, obesity in adolescence and childhood has been associated with increased risk. So that's something to be mindful of in terms of um, encouraging healthy weight in her children. We've talked about the connection between smoking and MS. Uh, stopping smoking would be one of the biggest things she could do to not only affect her own disease course, but to reduce the risk of MS in her children. Understood. We know that nicotine, though, nicotine use is one of the most difficult habits to kick. What can a clinician do to help? So in counseling someone who smokes, um, it's really important to talk about the MS-specific um, implications for their disease. So it's easy to say stop smoking because it's good for your health, but studies, including a study from Australia by Dr. Hunter published in 2021, um, indicated that if people are aware of the definite um, involvement their smoking has in their MS, they may be more likely to quit. That's a very interesting and, yes, also a very logical finding. What other stop smoking recommendations can you suggest? What's your experience been, doctor? So the way I tell it to people is that quitting smoking now is a huge investment in how they may be doing 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. And so that sometimes gives patient encouragement to stop right now. Um, and then I also make sure to connect them to quit support services. So um, people... Um, often will need resources to help them quit. Um, and so in the U.S., there's a hotline number. It's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Patients can call that and be connected to um, smoking cessation um, programs in their area, and that can be really helpful. And then the last thing I really try to emphasize is the implication that um, smoking has on family members. So again, talking about their risk in their children, and then also for spouses or other people who live in the house, I make sure to tell them that they need to quit smoking also because of the risk of secondhand smoke and MS. Thank you, Dr. Ward, for a very interesting evidence-based conversation. Our learning objective is to describe how counseling about modifiable risk factors can improve patient outcomes. What are the key things you'd want our viewers and listeners to take away from our discussion? So I think the first um, takeaway point would be that there are some non-modifiable risk factors for MS. So genetics is one. Um, that's a risk we can't change. Uh, race, sex, and EBV status are also all factors that we can't change. Um, but fortunately, there are several that we can. So on that note, the second take-home point would be that um, 
vitamin D has been associated with MS risk, even though we don't 100% know about the role of supplementation, it's a really easy thing to fix if people's levels are low. Um, the third point would be that, um, that uh, smoking is really important in the development of MS and in disability related to MS. So I really try to stress to the patient um, the importance of quitting smoking. And then the last point would be that we need to think not only about the patient, but about their family members, especially when it comes to smoking. So I always talk about the risk um, of MS for people's other household members that live with them. And then on the other hand, I talk to spouses and other family members about why they need to quit um, for the benefit of their family member with MS. Dr. Melanie Ward from West Virginia University's Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, thank you for joining us in today's eMultiple Sclerosis Review Program. Thank you so much for having me. You know, this is an area that we've really learned so much about, even in just the past few years. So it's really great to have the opportunity to talk about it. For eMultiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at emultiplesclerosisreview.dkbmed.com. Emultiple Sclerosis Review is supported by educational grants from Biogen Incorporated and Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Emultiple Sclerosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC.